Welcome to another Climate Tech Podcast, interviews with the people trying to save us from ourselves. Death, famously, like taxes, is unavoidable. But we can choose to exercise some agency over what happens to us after we die. I'm not talking about souls, I'm talking about the carbon-based remains we leave behind. In this episode, I spoke with Mallory Green, founder and CEO of Irene Cremations, about how we can lower our carbon footprint after we're gone. I reached Mallory in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Mallory, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So how did you get into the funeral business? That's always the question I get when people first see me. They're like, you, funeral services? So I'll bring you back. I went to the University of Guelph. I studied international development, and I always thought that I would work in charity or nonprofit. When I graduated, I could not get a job for the life of me. I didn't have a lot of real world work experience, but I ended up getting an internship at a tiny fintech company called Wealth Simple. The head of marketing at the time recruited me as his marketing intern. And I joined and ended up staying for five years and, and had a really good experience over those five years in marketing, recruiting, HR, people operations, everything in between. And Throughout that time there, I knew that my ultimate goal was to start my own business. And I was looking for an industry that I felt made a lot of sense for me. And I realized it was really always in front of me. So my dad's a funeral director. My mom is a hospice nurse. And so it's quite morbid to say that I've grown up around death. It's been a big part of my life. People always ask me, what were the dinner table conversations? But ultimately, you know, it's just a normalized conversation. People talking about their workday. And I think that allowed me to, one, bring this outlook into an industry that was quite archaic and outdated and could use a bit more conversation in our our society, but also just recognize that the industry hadn't changed ever. And so started diving into funeral services. And that's how I green came to be. I want to pick up on that, those two terms, archaic and outdated in a moment. One of the stats that you put out is that almost 80% of people would feel financially vulnerable to meet the cost of a $5,000 funeral in Canada, where you're based. That's probably true in many places and also in countries where funerals are kind of more a marker of status. This would be even more pronounced. This isn't surprising to me. And I also feel, as you say, kind of the funeral industry hasn't changed a lot. And it feels like this is this is a moment people are making expe- you know, very expensive decisions at a very vulnerable moment in their lives. Can you talk a little bit about what the industry kind of was or what you know, what you've come to and what you're hoping to change about it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the reality of of funeral services, I read a book a few years ago that talked about how we've hidden death behind the walls of hospitals and funeral homes. And because as a society, we're so uncomfortable with the topic, the reality is, is that really the first point that people have the or are faced with death or have conversations about death is at the time of a funeral. And really, they have to make arrangements within 24 to 48 hours and they're being told that it's going to cost them five to $20,000 for this service. And they don't really have a choice, right? I mean, there's not much innovation or accessibility in the industry. It is a very regulated industry, so it's hard to break into for new businesses. And so it's like this idea that the funeral industry has really been built off of everyone's fear of death. And they've been able to, to some extent, take advantage of that because Once again, people have no choice. Death will occur in their life and they're going to be faced with these high funeral bills. And 
as you said, in a society today where most people don't even have, I think, $500 in their bank account to cover kind of a sudden expense. And so I think it's the industry, as I said, has been built off of this fear and discomfort with death. And then kind of you mix in this idea that with the regulation, it's very hard to break into. There's definitely some big players that own massive parts of the market and and they're able to control overall the pricing of it. And then you also, you hit the nail on the head, which is the status aspect of it is we have been made to believe that the more money you spend on someone, the more you loved them. It's like this idea of if you really cared for your grandmother, she deserved the best casket and this massive funeral. And and it's just money spent equals love shown. And so Irene is really trying to reverse that. One, I think just by existing in a very regulated industry where we've broken into individual provinces and eventually states, it's been an uphill battle because there is such a kind of shield on the industry. So it's taken years to break into it. But then I think also, once again, this idea of making people more comfortable talking about death. I find when I tell people about Irene and in my business, everyone has an experience with death. Everyone has something to share about grief. There's just no channels to talk about it. And so that's what Irene wants to be, this channel to have conversations about it, whether it's pre-planning or talking about that grief aspect. And then I think breaking away last is breaking away from that kind of status piece. I believe that it's up to individuals to determine the best way to memorialize people And so we can give you the tools to understand what your options are, and you can make that decision. We do not make that decision for you. With Irene, it's always affordable and accessible, regardless of where you are. And then we kind of give you the tools to do what you will from that point forward. You made the Forbes top 30 under 30 this year. Congratulations on that. And interestingly, you're listed in the category of consumer technology, which isn't necessarily where people would expect to find a funeral business. The traditional funeral business, as we know, is also very much bricks and mortar, kind of built around funeral homes. But a lot of the core of what Irene is doing is to use technology to shake up the industry. Can you talk about the role that technology plays in this and maybe a little bit about the business model? Because you're not delivering funerals yourself, but you're a platform for funeral services. Exactly. So we always say that we are a service business enabled by technology. And I think the technology aspect of our business is keeping costs down for our families that we serve. So the easiest way to describe the funeral industry behind the scenes is that there's kind of different facilities that exist to do this 24-7 essential operation to keep society moving forward. So there's funeral homes, there's crematoriums, there's cemeteries, and then there's something called transfer services, which essentially are responsible for moving the deceased throughout all of those different buildings. And so what Irene did is we skipped over the need for a physical funeral home, you know, these brick and mortar, massive Victorian funeral homes that cost millions of dollars. And we went straight to those other facilities like a crematorium and like a transfer service to leverage things that already exist. So they've been in the industry for decades, if not centuries. They're very trusted by their communities. And we work directly with them, regardless of where someone dies, essentially. We can pick them up, bring them into our care, and facilitate the cremation. So that's essentially what we've done from a business model perspective. The big difference with Irene is that instead of when a death occurs, going in person, making an arrangement face-to-face, filling out a bunch of paperwork... You can make your arrangement from wherever you are. So we have an online platform. You can go on our website, take down the information you need, 
fill out the arrangement, pay, sign the contract, and then you can go back to being with your loved ones. So that's where the the technology aspect of our business really comes into play. And then from what families don't see on kind of the operational backend side of Irene, we have built our own systems and platforms to make the paperwork process more efficient. So, you know, once again, instead of this like pen to paper, filling out all these things, registering the death with the province, et cetera, our process takes about 10 minutes. It's all automated, very simple, because that is how we keep our costs down and pass those savings on to our families by keeping our processes very efficient. So it's really, I think it's it's taking this traditionally brick and mortar paper-based business and just like every other industry, bring it online and, and make it more accessible to kind of modern day consumers. And I think that's incredibly important in a society where most of us don't live necessarily where our parents are. We are transient. We are all over the place. And so we serve families, honestly, globally at this point because... Yeah, I think that the world is changing and funeral services need to change with it. We're about 15 minutes into our conversation and people are probably checking if they're in the right podcast, wondering why we're talking (laughs) about funerals in a climate tech podcast. And I want to get to that. What I find most interesting and why I wanted to have you on the podcast is one of the offerings you have called Aquamation. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, please? Yes. So it's interesting if you look at overall the trends in funeral services, we are moving towards greener alternatives. So one of them is called Aquamation. It's legal in probably about half of the U.S. states and half of our Canadian provinces today. And then there's something also called natural organic reduction or human composting, which is legal in the U.S. right now. And Aquamation is a very interesting process. It's considered a water-based cremation. So basically what it is, is it's a stainless steel vessel It's 95% water, kind of a warm water, 5% lye, so opposite of acid, kind of like the salt compound. And the body is basically broken down over hours, four to six hours. And what you get back is similar to cremated remains. The big thing here is that it uses about one eighth of the energy that flame cremation does. It uses less water than a household does in a single day. And so it really has this, I think, focus on less energy use, no air pollution, lower land usage. It's definitely more environmentally friendly. It's been around since the 1800s, actually, used more so for animals at that point. The science community has used it for decades. And in, I think, about 2011, it became started to become used in funeral services. And you said, so the remains at the end of the process are like with cremation. So does that mean someone could be putting you know, a physical remains in an urn or something like that? Correct. Yes. So similar to what you get in, once again, you know, in funeral services, there's things people want to know and there's things people don't want to know. So just like cremation, what comes out is the bone fragments. And then those are basically pulverized into what are cremated remains. Most people don't know that cremated remains are bones, which is interesting to me. I didn't know that either. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's actually the bones. So All of your organic materials, whether flame or water, have been broken down and basically gone. Makes sense. And then you're getting the bone fragments back. And so the biggest difference with aquamation or what they call hydrolyzed remains, more of a powder versus an ash, and generally can be a bit whiter versus an ash is a more gray tone. It really depends on the person. But like you said, it can be put in an urn, they can be spread, they can be everything that you can do with flame-based cremation remains, you can do with water. The only time I've seen this in the news was after the death of Desmond Tutu, who, among many other great things, of course, was also a climate activist. And yeah, he opted to have his remains aquamated. 
I don't know if that's the verb, acclimated for this. Um, yeah, I think acclimated, hydrolyzed, it can be either. Yeah, hydrolyzed, I think more of like <laughs> an agricultural dead stock. Honey. Let's go with acclimated. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's go with acclimated. Did the publicity that came out of or that resulted from Desmond Tutu's acclimation drive a lot of interest? And I wonder, I mean, are you doing a lot of these right now or booking them? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. So when Desmond Tutu chose acclimation, we had tens of thousands of people on our website. We had a huge spike in traffic. And that's because our acclimation blog posts are probably the highest ranking, globally speaking, because mostly no one else is talking about it, right? It's similar to cremation decades ago. The funeral industry did not want people to choose cremation. It was a, a more affordable option. And so that's how I see acclimation today. No one wants to talk about it or let people know about it. We find that... Because we are still moving towards a place where people start having open conversations about death, when people approach us on what we call an at-need basis, they need our services right away. They've never heard of aquamation, and they have to make a decision really quickly. However, they come to us for cremation, and then they read about it on our website, aquamation, and they make the switch. They say, my loved one would have loved this. We have very unique situations. I find a lot of parents, if their child has died, they choose aquamation. It seems like a gentler process for them. We've had firefighters who choose aquamation because flame cremation doesn't seem right. A lot of indigenous people choose aquamation. So it's interesting. There can just be that switch when they read about it and say, actually, you know what? My loved one would have appreciated this way more. I would like to get to a point where people come to us for aquamation. So it's still a very small percentage of our, our families. But as a business, we exist to help people understand their options. And it's up to them to decide how what to use. It always struck me that the stupidest thing that we can do with our carbon-based remains is to fill them with chemicals and seal them in concrete and wood and then put them in the earth. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, I mean, you probably have some of the stats around this. What does that process look like environmentally, you know, in terms of, I don't know, soil remediation, CO2, relative to cremation or aquamation? Yeah. So, I mean, burial definitely is the least green option in funeral services today. And I think that's for a few different reasons. One is the material used. I mean, it's generally non-biodegradable materials that are being used like metal and wood treated things. It's all non-degrading materials, right? So that's a huge impact on the earth. And then you mix in embalming fluids, which is, is seeping into the soil. So that's the first thing. And then I think the second one is just the resource waste, the cost of creating these caskets and the concrete that goes in in the burial plots. It's a huge resource waste for society. So that goes into it. And then the last one, I think, is just land usage, right? I mean, yeah, indeed, we're using so much land for cemeteries, and that's really permanent. They can move cemeteries. There's a lot of ethic conversations, kind of ethical conversations happening globally of do you start recycling graves? Because we're running out of cemetery space. Like our population is just too massive to be able to continue to support that. And so, yeah, burial, I think people are taking notice to the impacts of that. Maybe they switch towards green burial. However, the interesting stat about green burial is because a lot of us in our older age end up getting metal hip implants or anything metal in our body. That green burial actually is a horrible option and just as um, negatively impacted towards the environment. So there's kind of like a hierarchy in funeral services. It's burial, cremation, green burial, as long as you don't have any metal in your body. And then aquamation and natural organic reduction are probably along the same lines. But I mean, in some parts of the world, there is no burial, right? I know in Japan, it's 100% cremation. China, 
historically has been all burials. It's a huge part of their culture. The Chinese government has said we need to go 100% cremation because we just don't have space anymore. In I know in the UK, they say in London, we won't have cemetery space within 10 years. So, I mean, whether people like it or not, these things are changing. And even I'll, I'll lastly say that with cremation itself, it is becoming increasingly hard to open up a crematorium because of the impact on the environment. So it's very hard to open one in, in Canada today. And so I think that once again, as a society, we are going to have to be forced to go towards greener alternatives like aquamation and natural organic reduction because what we're doing right now just cannot sustain. I was living in India for a while with a Zoroastrian roommate and got to learn about that tradition as well of leaving the mm-hmm. corpse to be devoured by birds, which I think is actually really cool. Yes. What's it called? There's a name for it because I know my friends from Tibet and they do it too, but I can never, I can never remember the name of it. But yeah, it's, you know, what? I think one of my biggest goals is to eventually go around the world and just learn about different kind of death customs. I'll just say a quick story that I was speaking to a woman who from Nigeria and she said she was FaceTiming her mom back in Nigeria and and she was all dressed up, looked like she was so happy. She was all dressed up. And she's like, mom, where are you going? And she's like, we're going to a funeral. Like, it's such a celebration. This person lived until they were 80 something. And, and I was like, wow, that's such an incredible outlook on life and death versus in Western society. It's like, oh, this is it's so hidden and scary. So anyways, that's just my little tidbit. Except maybe the Irish, right? True. With, the, with the tradition of the wake, which always seemed like a good one to me as well. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> So what does the future look like for Irene? You're in Canada right now. You're expanding to the U.S. or you're, maybe you're already there. What does world domination look like for Irene and how long is it going to take? You know, if it could happen by tomorrow, that would be great. I think the future of Irene is really to become kind of this trusted resource for all things end of life. Like that is my goal. We Cremation is our first product. I think there's so many ways that we can continue to support families after a death. And because we're the first interaction they have after a death, we have this I call it kind of a trauma bond because if we provide really great services, which I believe we do, they continue to lean on us, especially for that first year of, of everything that is entailed after a death, estate, admin, potentially probate, grief support, all of those things, right? My God, passwords and accounts and email. Oh my God. <laughs> right. It's a nightmare. I think anyone who's ever been an executor it is a huge, I mean, burden, essentially. That's the only word to be used. And so, I want to be able to really apply what we've done with cremation and, and simplifying that funeral process for families to broader things in the end of life space, which I think then naturally leads into pre-planning because ultimately what we find is when families use us on an at me basis, that helps them think about their own plans. And they say, you know what, that was simple. And you know what, this is what I would want for my own. And so I think there's this just this natural kind of well-rounded end-of-life piece that Irene wants to tackle. We will expand across North America, maybe Europe, we'll see. And yeah, I, you know what? I want to become the first household name for death care services. I don't think that exists. When you think of death care, there's not one brand you think of. And I, I believe that it could be Irene. That would be awesome. And I would love it if you would come to Europe as well. So Irene is E-I-R-E-N-E dot C-A. Correct. You're on LinkedIn as well if people want to reach out to you. Is that the best place? Yeah, definitely. You know, I always used to make fun of LinkedIn, but I actually now really enjoy LinkedIn now that Twitter's kind of gone downhill. But um, Mallory J. Green, 
green with an E on the end, irene.ca. As you said, Irene means a state of peace. That's often what people ask me. So that's exactly what we want people to feel when they're working with us and navigating those services. But always happy to chat with anyone, all things end of life or tech. I'd love for people to reach out to me. Always happy to chat things, all things end of life, I'm sure is not a <laughs> a term that's heard a lot, but one that probably yeah. should be heard more often because it's very important. Agreed. Thanks a lot, Mallory. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another Climate Tech Podcast. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Get in touch anytime with tips and guest recommendations at hello at climatetechpod.com. Find me, Ryan Grant Little on LinkedIn. I'll be back with another episode next week. Bye for now. This episode is supported by Grizzle, B2B content to create and capture demand. I first met Grizzle's founder, Tom Watley, five years ago at a conference in Dublin. I was so impressed that I signed a deal with him to do all my software company's content that same evening at the pub. Remember that, Tom? Um, kinda. And they're still doing it two years after we sold the company because the new owners love Grizzle as much as I do. If you sell B2B, book 30 minutes in Tom's calendar at grizzle.io slash climate. That's G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E dot I-O slash climate.